and welcome to Food To Go, brought to you by New Food for this mini bonus episode. We should have a cheer here, I think. Yeah, I think we probably should. <laughs> yes, and as ever, hopefully you recognise his voice by now. I'm joined by my colleague, Josh. Josh, how is the jet lag? Yeah, it's all right. Better now. I've started sleeping again. If that's a clue as to the nature of this episode, um, I've been lucky enough to be travelling over the US in the last few weeks, meeting some great people, learning more about the industry and attending two brilliant trade events. And I just I just couldn't keep them to myself. Well, that's good because I want to know all about it because I'm incredibly nosy. <laughs> that's what we like though, isn't it? A, a good journalist should always be nosy, so that's good. <laughs> oh, and so you were in Chicago and you were in Denver. Yeah, so bit of a spoiler. This episode is going to concern Chicago and, and, and do stay tuned for a some content from Denver. So yeah, Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, okay, so most important question. Go on. How was the pizza? Lovely. I don't know if the listeners know what we're talking about here. Chicago pizza is very different to what we call regular pizza. It's more like a pie, so it's like a deep dish. Think pie? Of, yeah, so think of like a tart. It's like got a nice thick crust. I'm motioning with my hands the crust, which doesn't help on an audio platform at all, does it? But it's like a thick kind of tart, like a crust. Do you think that- And then pizza. Do you think that- that sort of um, inspired this that song, you know, when the moon hits your eye like yeah. a big pizza pie. Well, it may be. That yes. was really good singing. That was brilliant. <laughs> I thought Dean Martin was here for a second. Um, you have to ask him. Yeah, lovely pizza. Very nice, very stodgy, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I love my food. I love American food, so I, I yeah, had a great time. Oh, I'm really, really jealous. And you mentioned Denver as well there, and you've written some articles about what you what you learned there. So do make sure you keep an eye out for those listeners. There's some really, really good stuff there. Oh, thanks for the plug, Beth. Yes, you're welcome. Well, to kick things off, we're going to talk about Food Safety Summit 2022 in Chicago, which I was lucky enough to attend. It was the first one in person for a few years for obvious reasons, and it was just so lovely to be back in a big room with lots of people, see some friendly faces, put some, some faces to names, people mm. that we speak to over email quite a lot, which was really nice. And I was lucky enough to grab a couple of the esteemed speakers for a quick quick 10-minute interview. Um, they very kindly gave up some of their day. To talk about food safety, talk about where we are when it comes to food safety and how safe the industry is at the moment. And to kick things off, here is a very good friend of New Food, Absolutely. Jorge Hernandez, who is a Vice President of Quality Assurance for the Wendy's company. Some of you will know Wendy's from their thousands of restaurants in the US and now in the UK and Europe too. And he spoke about how he maintains standards across so many different sites. So once again, we are live at Food Safety Summit 2022 in Chicago, Illinois, and I'm joined by another very special guest, Jorge. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Josh. I'm very, very happy to be here. So as we do with all of our guests, I suppose a good place to start, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself. So who are you, what do you do, and who do you work for? Sure. Uh, my name is Jorge Hernandez. I'm the Vice President of Quality Assurance for the Wendy's Company in the United States. It's an organization that has over 7,000 restaurants in the um, quick service restaurants in about 32 countries around the world. Uh, one of the most beloved brands, uh, American brands that there is, and uh, you know, just very excited to be here. So, as you mentioned, specializing in fast food. Yes. What are the main food safety and quality assurance challenges that are specific to that sector, as opposed to the industry in general? Well, the way that I approach this sector is, uh, you gotta start with safe food. Yeah. 
you know, and then it can only go down from there. So the approaches that I take is farm to fork. Very key uh, point of my programs is to ensure that we uh, review and approve the products, how they were grown, how they were processed, how were they transported all the way to my organizations. And then it becomes a little bit still challenging, but a little bit easier to maintain safety of that product until it gets to the customer. Right. When it gets into our operations, I mean, there is a lot of different factors that come into play to maintain it safe. But I try to reduce it to a couple of things. First, we have the right equipment. We already have the right food. We have the right equipment. We have processes and procedures. You know, and we have the right flows. So it becomes about ensuring that the people that are coming to uh, the, the organization perform according to, you know, to their training and community expectations. And that starts with showing up to work healthy making sure that they're not sick when they come into work, right? And then they start by the, the day by hand washing, washing their hands to make sure that, you know, they handle the products and the foods and the things in the way that they were taught to that. And then, you know, depending on their position, that they'll be able to perform to that. So the biggest barrier for us sometimes is ensuring that we have enough people that can act and follow the processes that we have. We don't have a lot of opportunity for them to try to, to do too much or too little. It's just the right amount of time to make sure that all of the hand washing, that all of the cleaning, sanitizing, that all of the temperatures, all of the things ensure that that product is going to be safe until it reaches the customer. Once you look at it like that, it becomes a little bit easier to manage. Absolutely. Uh, One thing that we've heard a lot this week and indeed at most conferences is all about food safety culture. It's a phrase that we hear all the time. How difficult is it to employ a successful food safety culture in a business that relies on speed? and is often under high pressure. How do you instill that culture in your staff who are up against it for all of their shift? Absolutely. And, and I think I mentioned it already, you know, you set up the processes and the situation around you involve and involve the people that are going to be able to do that. So that it's a lot easier to do things right than go to the wrong. And then you train your managers to coach the people to do the right things at all times, right? You cannot afford not to do that. So if you have those things in combination, it becomes a very powerful culture. It does require speed. It does require follow-up. It does require that people be committed to be able to do the right things at the right time, all the time, right? We cannot afford to do uh, food safety just part of the time. It's got to be done every morning, every afternoon, every night, every day. So you put it in a way that you'll be able to do the way that you surround the people that are working there. That's the only way that I know how to be able to do that. Now, the messages to be able to maintain it once you set it up has to come from the top. Right. It has to come from the top to be able to say this is important to us. It's part of our business. It's who we are. And when is we're proud of it, one of the things that we have is called in every restaurant, most restaurants in the world, we have a tagline that says quality is a recipe. And we take that very seriously. And that means food safety. And that means quality of the product, taking care of the customer. And that sets the tone for the culture to be able to be what we expect it to be. So it is in all of those aspects. Right. Absolutely. And and you probably answered this question as well. But as you said, you you operate thousands of restaurants around the world. How do you ensure consistency across so many locations? There's only one of you. Mm -hmm. There's thousands of restaurants in the US alone. Right. You can't visit them all. No, I can't. (laughs) I'm sure you'd like to. That's right. How do you maintain consistency of quality and the food safety in so many locations? Actually, I have a big team that helps me with be able to do that. But it, it goes about setting up the supply chain in such a way that you have touch points or oversight points all the way through to make sure that 
food is as safe as possible to get to the restaurant. And then in the restaurant, you have a number of different systems that allows you to do that. Let me give an example of one. We have one that's called the daily check log that has to be done before every service. That ensures you know, that the manager walks through the facility and has about seven to 10 different points that he or she has to make sure they're right so that they can be prepared to be able to execute food safety during that period of time. And that happens two to three times every single day. So then we go and we oversight, we do audits, we do assessments that allows us to go and making sure that's happening, you know, not only happened today, but happened last week, last month, six months ago, and, and give us a reasonable probability that it's gonna happen next week, next month, and a year from now, right? So you set up the systems in that way. That's the only way to do it, you know, with a team that is able to monitor that. When they're not doing it, when we start finding that there is deviation from our expectations, then you start figuring out why is that happening? Is it because the equipment isn't working right? Is it because they don't have enough people to work the equipment right? Is it the things that are, they're not be able to do that? So you do a, a, what we call a root cost analysis. What is it that's really happening? And then you send the experts to be able to, to help them. Sometimes it's training. Sometimes it's developing systems that, that fixes the equipment more, you know, preventive maintenance. There's all kinds of things that can happen. So you put the right solution to the right problem. And, and that's the only way to do it. Otherwise, you know, it becomes impossible. It's not by visiting. It's by ensuring that the systems are there, performing the way they are, you know, at all times. Jorge, we were lucky to both be at GFSI in Barcelona just, well, nearly a couple of months ago now. And one thing that we heard from Howard from Kroger there was that food safety is a non-compete issue. Great. Since I've heard a phrase that food safety is a non-compete issue, but food safety culture and indeed perhaps quality assurance is... Is that something you agree with? Do you think that a brand can position itself as more profitable if it has a high food safety culture and a high quality assurance culture? So I know Howard very well. Actually, we worked together at one time in our, in our careers. And, and, you know, I have all respect for him. And I agree that, you know, we all agree that food safety does not compete. Is quality something that we compete up? I think when it comes to the programs themselves, definitely. But when it comes to the science and thinking behind it, that's something that we're willing to share. You know, how things work in... As an example is this conference. You'll hear a lot of us sharing our experiences with how our systems are performing, the things that we're finding, the fixes, or the things that are working and the things that don't. That's an example of how we can learn from each other. Now, when I share my specific programs, where I share my specific points and stuff, that's not. That is something that is particular. First of all, it's particular to my organization. It may not pertain to other ones, right? Particular to my equipment, particular to my food. But second of all, that is where you really have a level of competition, if you will, that differentiate you from other products because that's, at the end of the day, that's how the product is going to uh, look to the customer and he's going to make a selection based on how it looks, smells, tastes, feels, and all of those things that, you know, that they, like to, they like to use for purchasing the product. Okay, my final question to you is one that I've asked everyone that I've spoken to here because it's a phrase that I've heard so much over the last few months. Everyone says that our food is as safe now as it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you agree with? I think so. Actually, I think so. I think there is data to be able to do that. Unfortunately, or fortunately, the technology is allowing us to see a lot further than we have ever before. So there have been causes of people getting ill, maybe mildly, maybe not so, not so much. You know, some people even died that we did not know what it was. We did not have a way to attribute it to a particular product or particular types of food or things like that. So those things happened before. Now that we're finding them and we're fixing them, we're making it safer over time. But 
technologies even letting us go even further. And we're starting to see even on level that is inimaginable, you know, just 10 or 15 years ago, right? At the DNA level, we're actually being able to fingerprint, if you will, a bacteria and being able to, to know that it came from that facility, not that another one. Just by the way there is, I mean, that allows you, that gives you a sense of how much uh, science and technology is helping us, but it's opening our eyes to things that were happening for a long time. We just did not know the cause, right? And we didn't know it was the food, it was not those things. So as we fix and we continue to have more, better and better, safer food into the future. Jorge, thank you so much for joining me and really appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to thank speaking you. to you again soon. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So what did you think of, of Jorge, Beth? I loved it. Just so fascinating to hear about how everything is managed, really, and some just really interesting points. What would you say was, you know, your? So I just want you to set the scene here because we could hear, you know, just the background, the hustle and bustle. You know, what was the the best part of this for you, this interview? Set the scene, though. I want I want some description. Yeah, you want full movie scene. Um, yeah, we love it at Jorge, don't we? At New Food, oh, yeah, okay. we love it at Jorge. He's, he's he's such a great guy and. Um, such a brilliant food safety mind as well, so it's brilliant to pick his brains for 10 minutes. Yes, yeah, so as you can probably hear, we we're in the conference hall, so there's stuff happening all the time. We just had a lovely, lovely lunch downstairs. Over a coffee, we had a chat, and it's just, I can't put into words how great it is to be sat face-to-face with somebody. It's so much easier to interview somebody when you're sat across the table from them. Mm. You're not having to wait for them to stop to talk, or you're looking on Zoom thinking, oh, they're gonna stop talking now, or something to interject. So much easier face to face. You've got people coming around. The atmosphere is buzzing. There's people having chats all over, mm. and you just get the feeling that in events like this are so crucial to the industry. There's so much collaboration, and maybe this is the same across every sector. But I just felt the food industry is so collaborative. Mm-hmm. You get people from quite fiercely competitive companies sitting down over a coffee, talking about food safety techniques, how they keep us safe, how they keep their food safe, how they ensure quality. I just don't think that happens in other sectors. Mm. I think we're a really, really friendly, collaborative industry. It's so great for everyone to come together. In terms of highlights, I just thought it was brilliant the way Jorge flipped my question when I asked about how you maintain standards across, as I said, literally thousands of restaurants. Mm. I can't remember the number now, but the number's crazy. And he has to make sure that every product leaving every single restaurant is up to their standard. And there is only one Jorge, as we know. We wouldn't have it it any other way. He can't visit every restaurant in the US, let alone the UK and Europe. So you can't go around with the stick, if you like, making sure standards are where they should be. So how do you maintain that? And he flipped that and said, well, actually, if you put the processes in place and you get that culture right, and that was a big theme all week was food safety culture. We hear it more and more. Um, and trying to drill down to what that actually means was really, really interesting. But for here, to hear him say that, you get the culture right, everything does follow. Mm. I thought that was a really interesting way of, of looking at things. Well, that's interesting that you brought that up because I thought I was going to ask you, you know, in terms of the the nature of, of the interview with Jorge, you know, and your discussion around food safety culture, do you think, and, and just sort of being there, do you think that people do have a thorough understanding of what that means now? We've spoken about it quite a lot at New Food, food safety culture, but do you think people understand it now, know how to implement it? No. <laughs> I do actually that's probably a bit of a false answer I do I think that it's a very easy and fashionable phrase to throw around and actually I was lucky enough to attend a session which involved Frank Yanis again good friend of, of New Food Deputy Commissioner of the FDA 
a representative from the USDA and a representative from the CDC who were talking about measuring food culture, food safety culture. Which measuring is, it. Well, exactly, because it's a, you do need some metrics. It's a science-based industry. It's very easy to say we have a good set food safety culture because you can't actually prove it. Yeah, well, it's like, well, how do you measure a culture? Well, I mean, again, I won't reveal that here because there might, there might well be some content coming up on we that. We want answers. So <laughs> you do need some sort of measure. And interestingly, there was a representative from the Department of Justice who spoke the day before um, that panel. He said that when the DOJ of the US, of course, have to unfortunately think about prosecuting manufacturers who have fallen foul of regulations, they'll actually take into consideration the food safety culture of the manufacturer when they decide to prosecute or not. So it's going to be really important it's really to be important. able... That's the Department of Justice. That's the people that send you to prison. If you're yeah. sending you to jail, if you're, if you're a CEO of a firm in Middle City, you're going to jail yeah. in America. So they're, they're, have they figured out how to measure culture? I don't think so. So I think that work's being done. It will be interesting because you can't really... I wouldn't think you can make a fair judgment on something like that if there is no way to measure it. No, I think you're probably right. I don't think you can. But just going back to what Jorge said, I think that it might, we're not be, it might be at a stage where you can measure that yet, but you certainly can implement it. Mm. And I thought it was interesting. I made the point about, about uh, pressure. I don't need to tell this is how much pressure they're under as, as industry experts. We know that it's, it's been exacerbated because of COVID. The pressure is, is high at the moment. Mm. And I just thought of those staff members at Wendy's, such a fast paced environment. We all go to fast food. We want our food 10 minutes ago. Yeah. It would be very easy for standards to slip at the expense of speed. And that's why Hawkeye's actually no. We make sure that everyone's got time to do the right things, to wash their hands. And that's food safety culture. That's making sure that actually it's not about, you can't sacrifice that. That's everything that we do starts from a food safety culture standpoint and then we build upwards. Mm. So for example, hand washing, non-negotiable. You do yeah. that. You don't skip that because you're because you're busy. You mm. skip something else. Yeah. And I think that's food safety culture. You know I'm a cynic. I think <laughs> the industry talks a good game. I mean, there's some people, you speak to Jorge, he emanates food safety culture. Mm. You know that he's got his ducks in a row. Mm -hmm. And you know that his mindset is, is in the right place. Mm -hmm. I think it's very easy for people to say that we have a good food safety culture. Yeah. Everyone says it, why wouldn't you? Yeah, but it's the same, I'm going off a little bit of a different tack here, it's the same about sustainability. You know, a lot of companies have been flagged by the Advertising Standards Agency in the UK because they've been making claims, but then they've had no actual evidence to back it up and I think we're becoming much more aware of greenwashing and it's the same thing you know it's all about there's these things that people claim whether it's you know we have a good food safety culture or, or yeah look at us we're so sustainable or look at us we're so ethical but actually what a company that has real integrity is one that's able to actually show the metrics or at least if that's not possible make strides to try and show the metrics and say, yeah, you know, we're not perfect, but we're making attempts and these are the things that we're putting in place. Exactly. The thing that I've heard mentioned a few times is food safety culture is what happens when no one's looking. Mm. And that, I think, is the key, isn't it? Everybody behaves themselves when the inspectors turn up. You'd be, quite frankly, daft if you didn't. Mm. But when the inspectors aren't there, when no one's looking, are you still doing the right things? Yeah. A session earlier in the day spoke, uh, mentioned the idea of this is not who we are, this is not what we're about. That's the mentality of, of the staff from the top right down to the sort of entry level staff, that phrase, that's not what we're about. We don't do that because that's not who we are. 
we are X, Y, and Z. We are a company that cares. We are a company that washes our hands. That's food safety culture. Mm. I think we will see metrics and measurements for that. I found that, I mean, the audience were open-mouthed when the DOJ said they're taking into account food safety culture when designed to prosecute. Yeah, that's that's nice. massive. Yeah. If you're in the dock, or you might be in the dock, the DOJ is actually going to decide whether to prosecute you based on how good your food safety culture is. Yeah. That could save you a jail time. That's huge. Yeah. Okay, so you, you also spoke with another, well, two esteemed people. Yeah, two for the price of one on this one. I managed to grab, because they're very, very busy, so I did literally grab them and sat them down, <laughs> um, which is very kind of them. Some of the great people from Stop Foodborne Illness, which is a not-profit, and I'll let them explain what Stop Foodborne Illness is all about. So here is CEO, Mitzi Baum, and Director of the Alliance Stop Foodborne Illness, Vanessa Kaufman. We are live at Food Safety Summit 2022 in Chicago, Illinois, and I'm delighted to be joined by two very special guests. Mitzi, Vanessa, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. No, so Well, I guess a good place to start, and I know you're writing for us very soon, so do keep your eyes peeled for that, listeners. But a good place to start, maybe introduce yourselves, who you are, and what you do. I'm Mitzi Baum. I'm the CEO of Stop Foodborne Illness. We are a national public health nonprofit uh, based in Chicago, Illinois. And we work on national food safety policy. Uh, We focus on working with individuals and families that have been impacted by serious foodborne disease. And we uh, also work uh, quite heavily in the area of food safety culture, which is Vanessa's um, program that we run. Yes, I'm the director of the Alliance to Stop Foodborne Illness, which is a program of STOP. And we have about 18 member companies uh, in the Alliance who are working on their internal food safety culture and also using their collective brain power to work on external food safety culture throughout the food system. Great stuff. My first question, I suppose, is quite incendiary, and I hope you don't take it the wrong way. But what is the need for STOP? I mean, surely, do we not already care enough about food safety? Do we not already care enough about foodborne illness? It's a pretty big issue within the food industry. So why does stuff exist and what's the need for it? Well, there's a need for it because those of us in the food industry or those of us that care a lot about food safety enough to participate in conferences and you know uh, work in the field know quite a bit about it. But unfortunately, the general population is not as aware as the rest of us that have committed our careers to working in this particular area. STOP represents individuals and families that have been severely impacted by foodborne disease. And we use our platform to help those individuals and families share their stories because we talk about food safety, we talk about foodborne illness in very large numbers. In the United States, annually, 48 million people, it's estimated, uh, have foodborne illness. 128,000 of those are hospitalized, and 3,000 are estimated to die annually. And those are 2011 numbers, so we don't know the actual numbers. They're all estimates. But those are really big numbers. Our job is to put a human face on those numbers, because the smallest number, one, is really important to one family, Uh, one family whose child was permanently injured due to something we all have to do, and that's eat. Uh, 
someone who lost their parent due to peanut butter. Uh, so, yeah, our job is necessary. It's necessary to humanize what this is all about and to remind everybody that we all do is for ourselves, but for the betterment of public health. Absolutely. I think that's a really excellent point. And as you say, we're, we're very good at statistics in the food industry. And I think people do too often forget that there are faces behind the numbers. And I think it's a really, really powerful, powerful thing that you're doing. Um, do you think that the public is aware enough of the risk that food illness can carry? I mean, we've just hopefully come out of a pandemic where everybody's aware of viral aerosol disease. Everyone knows about COVID. Everyone now knows about colds, how are they spread? Do you think that that same of education exists when it comes to, to foodborne pathogens? No. Where is it taught? The only reason why we understand about COVID is because it impacted every individual on the face of the earth. Now, foodborne illness can impact every individual on the face of the earth, but we've never had any type of epidemic of a foodborne illness that could potentially have the same type of impact. We all have to eat, but it's not taught in schools. Um, unless you are really interested in food or in food manufacturing, food production, food sales, it's not something that typically comes up in everyday conversation, unless you're talking to somebody who you know, is a food safety expert. Because nobody wants to talk about the real parts of foodborne illness, uh, diarrhea, vomiting, and all of those things. That's not pleasant conversation, but it's the truth behind it. A lot of people get those symptoms. They don't realize that it's possibly food or waterborne. They typically recover within 24 to 72 hours and they go about their life. So no, I don't think the general population has a good understanding of what's lurking out there. And whose job is that to change it? Is that the food industry's job to better educate consumers? Is it federal government's job? Is it education institutions' job? Who should be doing the educating? We all have a responsibility to share this information, especially those of us that have a lot of information. I think one of the groups that you missed is the medical, the medical field. So many medical professionals don't even know how to identify a potential foodborne illness. They don't know the pathogens that are reportable. So, you know, back to those big statistics, you know, those are all estimates because the medical profession isn't well-versed on what to look for, uh, the tests to run, or what you should report. So we're all responsible. One thing I, I read on your website when doing some research earlier this month was the point that so many different government agencies look after food in the US. And that's quite a specific problem or scenario to the US. I mean, the UK has the FSA that deals with food, Germany the BVL, Canada the CFIA. Is that a problem? And if it is, do you think that one single government body should be given the authority and the designation just to look after food? Should the FDA, for example, be responsible for food safety and that's it, rather than having the FDA, USDA, CDC, all kind of getting involved? That's a, a complicated question. question. <laughs> yeah, it is a complicated question because there are so many ways that food safety is split in the United States. And it's recently come up. It's uh, 
It's a conversation that Stop Foodborne Illness is involved in, along with other nonprofit organizations, consumer advocacy groups, as well as industry. You know, in in a perfect world, yes, there would be one singular agency that's responsible for food safety in the United States. But that's not how our system was built. Um, I think we need to have someone specifically in the FDA that wakes up every day thinking about food safety. And that's their singular mission is to think about food safety, how we can better protect the public through food safety. USDA has their work in food safety as well. I mean, agriculture is in their name. It's hard to have a Department of Agriculture without food safety. What could improve our system is better communication between the agencies and consistencies and for them to always remember the reason why they're there is for public health and to continue to focus on the public health aspect of their work rather than checking boxes, doing inspections. Vanessa, if I turn to you for just a second as, as somebody that deals with industry in your role, we've heard from, from various people, we spoke about GFSI, um, something that Howard and Paula said from Kroger, that food safety is a non-compete area. Is that something that you find when you deal with different industry giants? Are they more than happy to collaborate and to cooperate with organizations such as such as STOP? Or do you still find some, some barriers? Yes, that's a great question. Uh, the alliance really brings together all of these people who would otherwise be competitors in the marketplace. And I have seen in our different working groups, people say like, oh yeah, I have something that deals with that. Or, you know, they're just going through and they're sharing their materials really collaboratively, no questions asked, you know, and coming together and making food safety culture more powerful within their organizations collectively. They're benefited by each other's knowledge, each other's struggles, each other's failures, each other's successes. So yeah, I, it is a non-compete area and we have these people who would otherwise be competitors really helping each other. I think that's really powerful. I don't know if you guys were at the mock civil trial yesterday morning, which luckily was a fictional scenario where a young girl lost her life thanks to listeriosis. Really, really heartbreaking, but really, really interesting. One of the accusations leveled at this fictional food company was that they were putting profit above food safety. Is that something that you see in real life in the food industry? Or do you think that as industry, we're pretty good at putting food safety front and center? Well, I think there are some bad actors out there and we've seen them, you know, with the PCA incident. There are people who've put food or put profits above food safety, but I really believe that the members of the Alliance are working diligently to improve their food safety culture and they're doing it for the right reasons. And I think there's a lot of other companies out there that are doing the same. I've got two questions left for the both of you. Feel free to, to answer as you see fit. Two big questions I'm aware. Save the horrible ones to the end. First of all, Something that we hear all the time at New Food is that our food has never been safer. It's as safe as it's ever been. Is that something you'd agree with? Or do you think standards have, have started to slip since the pandemic? We have some new challenges with the pandemic. We have a lot of attrition uh, of workers, people finding new jobs, people needing to get trained. Uh, that's why food safety culture is so important to embed the why of food safety in that training and having great understanding of what people's roles are. 
food food is safe for the most part, but when it is not safe, it can have detrimental impacts. We think about the uh, infant formula recalls that have happened recently. Two infants have lost their lives because of eating with, you know, the one thing that they can eat. And that's terrible. It's horrible. There are unfortunately going to continue to be moments like this in the industry um, unless we make some big changes. We have a safe food supply. That is clear. To Vanessa's point, there will continue to be challenges as our science continues to evolve. How food manufacturers, how food producers uh, operate needs to continue to evolve. Food safety is not static. It needs to be an ongoing process of review and take a look at the data internally and what you're doing, testing. But we will continue to have challenges because pathogens are everywhere in the environment, whether we like it or not. So our challenge is to never stop trying to be better. We have plenty of pathogens that are now antibiotic resistant um, and we're finding new pathogens in foods that weren't there before, pathogens that weren't causing human illness that now cause human illness. So uh, we have to continue to follow the science here and uh, continue to focus on how we can continuously improve. And when there are food safety failures, learn from those failures and uh, not repeat them. My last question to you both centers around something that was said in the keynote presentation this morning, which is quite an off-the-cuff remark from Sean, but it, it stuck with me. He said oh, we might even one day be able to eliminate foodborne disease. Is that something that you think is realistic? It appears to me that foodborne pathogens is one of these things that, unfortunately, we're just going to always have to grapple with no matter how safe our food supply is, but you both run stop. So do you think we can be without foodborne illness in the, at some point during the future? The vision of the organization that we work for is a world without foodborne illness. We're working to put ourselves out of jobs. So is it possible? We sure do hope so. And we're going to continue to work to raise awareness of foodborne illness, raise awareness of the fact that people die from foodborne disease, people are left permanently injured due to foodborne disease, um, and we need to hold ourselves accountable uh, to work toward eradicating it. Absolutely. I wonder if Sean was reading our website this morning. <laughs> yeah, I did notice uh, in his talk, or not, I mean, when he would just made that comment, uh, that was like, "Oh, that is that's our that's our vision. That's you know part of our vision <laughs> statement." Pathogens probably won't go away, but our ability to control them and to minimize their impact on folks can change. And I'm glad you said that thing about putting ourselves out of business because that's something I had I was going to say if you didn't. So. Guys, thank you so much for joining me and for, for giving up a few minutes of your time. Really, really fascinating to speak to you both. Um, and listeners, do keep your eyes peeled for an article coming very soon, hopefully, from both Mitz and Vanessa. If you like what you heard, I'm sure there'll be even more brilliant analysis in that. So do keep your eyes peeled. But guys, thank you so much for joining me and looking forward to speaking to you again soon.
Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Loving your work. Yeah, thank you. Apologies for the slight issues with the sound for the first few minutes. That's uh, that's live audio, folks. People just faffing around with the mic connections makes it a little bit difficult sometimes. That's you being on the ground. That's me, roving reporter, <laughs> and not knowing how to use the technology that I've been issued with. Um, so apologies for that. Hopefully you can still make out what, what Mitzi and Vessel are saying. No, so I think some really interesting things. That, and as you said, do keep an eye out for an article from them as well. Thank you, Josh so much for regaling, you know, your tales of your travels in Chicago. Very, very quickly, what was your highlight from that interview? Well, I thought that first question was really, really mean, where I said basically, what's the point of you? Um, <laughs> I thought they handled it very well. That idea of it not being taught in schools, I think it's massive, and I didn't even realise it. I mean, I think we're all more aware of pathogens now than perhaps ever have been. I'm certainly more hygienic now than I was two years ago, I'll admit that, I think mm. most people are. But Mitzi's point around it just being a tricky topic is actually so basic, but so true. No one wants to speak about diarrhea, do they? No one does. Or vomiting. I do. Oh, well, you're a minority of one then, but I certainly don't. <laughs> certainly not pre-10am. Absolutely not. I don't want to hear about it. And we don't say, do we? We don't say I had fever. We say, oh yeah, you know, I was a bit unwell. No one actually says, no one discloses symptoms. So there's so many cases that go undiagnosed, we don't speak about it. Are children taught about safe food in schools? I was, but not to a degree where I feel I retained a lot of information. A lot of what I learned was actually at home. And and also, you know, just experience, really. I mean, I've had, I have had food poisoning in my time a few times, and that's not the best way to learn, folks. It certainly isn't. And as Mitzi said, I thought it's a really, really important point and this was showcased by the mock trial. Again, there's a piece on that, so do check that out because that was a really, really interesting session. As an industry, we're very good at numbers. We're very good at saying, oh, we've, we've kept food boilers to X amount of cases, and there were six cases of hysteria in this outbreak, and that's really, really low, and that's fine, and it is low. We are a safe industry. Those six people have still been very unwell, and in some cases, people do die. Mm. And when somebody dies, it's no comfort or solace to that family that, oh, but don't worry, because you were the only death from no. salmonella in this state, in this year. That means nothing to them. It is important, it does impact lives. And two conflicting views there for that last question of is, is our food as safe as it's ever been? I heard that so many times. We heard it at Barcelona at GFSI a few times. Heard it there. Again, very easy phrase to throw around. Yeah. I agree with Jorge, I think it is. I think technology does help us in that regard. Mm. But Mitzi and Vanessa are right when they say, well actually, there's a lot of work to still be done. Yeah, we're not perfect. We're not. We're, we're very good. good we, I think we are doing a good job, and that was clear to see. And again, I'll reinforce my point I made at the top of the episode. The work Vanessa's doing with different organisations, bringing them together to, to stop foodborne illness, what a great industry. You've got competitors being vulnerable and saying and being open, and saying, mm. look, this is what we do. How can we improve this? And working with not-for-profits. How many other industries does that happen? I'm, I'm sure it happens in some, but not in all. I think it's a... I'm full of faith in the food industry in Chicago. I felt very infused and inspired. Oh, good, good. Well, thank you so much, Josh. You know, I think there's some two really interesting interviews there that were intrinsically linked because, well, you know, if you've got a food safety culture, a good food safety culture, then you're going to be able to stop exactly. foodborne illness. Obviously, there are things that are kind of out of the industry's hands, but 
you know, I think we're making some really great strides. I think we're seeing lots of great work from associations and regulators also to educate the consumer on that side of things as well. It's a combined effort, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, our listeners, I hope you enjoyed those interviews as much as I did. And just, yeah, really great to have such insight and on the ground. On the ground, yeah. It was great to be on the ground. Really good. After so many years <laughs> of being behind a screen, it was really, really good. Right, well, stay tuned because we might just be dropping a, another bonus episode very soon, you lucky things. And of course, we'll be back with our normal programming very soon as well. So do keep your ears peeled up for that. Don't think you can peel your ears. We've had this conversation before and I think we just go with it now. We do. It's, it's my it's phrase. Yeah, yeah, keep your ears it. peeled. Until then, take care.